Welcome to another edition of Mind of the Madman, brought to you from STS Studios. I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in again this week. Um, this week, uh, we're going to look at something called the uh, Coronavisor. It's more or less a, uh, a supposed time machine that is uh, kept at the uh, Vatican in Rome. Or, uh, in Vatican City near Rome, so... Uh, you know, as always, before we get to that, let's look at some, some paranormal news stories, news stories from around uh, the world. Our first article is entitled, Congressman Says He Saw Top Secret UFO Information on Extraterrestrial Crafts. Representative Tom Burkett, a Tennessee Republican, claimed on Friday to have seen top secret information about extraterrestrial crafts. Burkett has been among the most vocal members on the topic of UFOs, UAPs, and the disclosure of government information surrounding them. In June, the Tennessee lawmaker went so far as to accuse the government of covering up the infamous 1947 incident in Roswell, New Mexico, which urban legend claims involved alien spacecrafts crashing into the desert. He also, he was, he, in the past, he believes the government has, re, has retrieved extraterrestrial crafts and even alien beings from UFO crash sites. Meanwhile, a majority of U.S. eligible voters believe the government knows more about UFOs than the public. According to a new poll, polling exclusively conducted by Newsweek, the poll carried out, by, or it was conducted for Newsweek by Redfield and Wilton Strategies, that was conducted on July 6th and surveyed 1,500 people. It found 57% of the respondents believe the government has more information about UFOs and alien life than it publicly shared. In addition, 21% say they did not think this was the case, while 22% said they did not know. Uh, Burkett made an appearance on News Nation on Friday where, Chris, where host Chris Como questioned him on the subject of UFOs, specifically about uh, recent reports that several witnesses for an upcoming House Oversight Committee hearing on the matter have opted to back out. Uh, we had... One tell us the Pentagon had more had some had made some inquiries and they were backing out. Burkett said NASA backed out on us, but we do have three strong strong witnesses, decorated veteran pilots, and these are firsthand accounts. This isn't somebody who's saying, "Well, my third cousin saw this fly over the trailer park." This is real. The House Oversight Committee hearing is scheduled to begin sometime before the end of July. Among the witnesses still participating in the hearing is whistleblower David Grush, an Air Force veteran whose recent claim about a UFO program to conduct retrieved operations from UFO crash sites has sparked a renewed national interest in the subject. These are, these are retrieving non-human origin, uh, non-human exotic origin vehicles that have either landed or crashed. Crush told Newsweek in May. Well, naturally, when you recover something that's either landed or crashed, sometimes you encounter dead pilots. And believe it or not, as fantastic as it sounds, it's true. A U.S. Defense Department spokesman spokesperson said, following Grush's News Nation interview, that it had not discovered any verifiable information to substantiate claims that any prog any program regarding the possession or reverse engineering of extraterrestrial materials have existed in the past or exist currently. The GOP lawmaker later discussed on Friday the difficulties that he and some other colleagues had in getting access to information regarding UFOs and sightings by pilots, describing a meeting in Florida that 
was ended without a top secret inform without top secret information about UFOs being discussed. Eventually, they were able to speak with some of the pilots, but were not shown any photographs. We finally got to talk to some pilots, but there weren't any pictures the congressman added. But they did draw some. We saw some things that were very top secret, but it was obviously some crafts that were not of this world. It was nothing anybody, any of our enemies or allies, had any knowledge of whatsoever. So this just shows that you know Congress that uh, you know a lot a lot of people you know in the whole um, you know a UFO government you uh, in you know uh, the U.S. government cover up of UFOs has been saying that, you know, disclosure is coming, and now Congress is really starting to put heat on, you know, whatever powers, you know, that be that actually run these top-secret programs, and it looks like disclosure may be coming sooner than later. I mean, I thought it was going to take forever, but it looks like disclosure might be coming a lot sooner than we thought. Um, our next uh, our next story is entitled, UFOs Allegedly Seen Over Enos, Texas, Recorded by Man Who Claims to See Them All the Time. Most people have seen something unexplainable in the skies. Even when they don't credit it to something mysterious or extraterrestrial, there is so much technology in our skies that most people assume that they don't know what it is, but it has a reasonable explanation, except sometimes it doesn't. A man from Enos, Texas, says he sees UFOs all the time and record, and record a video of what seems to be two crafts whizzing by in the night sky. They appear as two bright dots that are vaguely saucer-shaped, but with wobbly outlines against the black, black background. It's difficult to say what the objects are, however, it is also increasingly hard to, disclaim, to discuss, dismiss claims of UFOs while the U.S. government is rebranding them unidentified aerial phenomenon and creating an all-domain anomaly resolution office as part of of the Office of Secretary of Defense, while the House Oversight Committee holds hearings on UAP transparency, and the Secretary and the Senate Majority Leader introduces legislation as part of the the defense bill that requires uh, all evidence of non-human intelligence be turned over for review and declassification. If you're one of many Americans who celebrate who celebrate the Fourth of July by watching Independence Day. And you may find it interesting that the movie portrayed the Secretary of Defense, played by actor James Reborn, as the only government official who was aware of the secret government studies on UFOs. The same, the same position is charged, is in charge of the AARO department is actual reality. There aren't a lot of bipartisan issues left, but Congress seems to be in agreement that a non-zero chance the government is withholding information regarding things people see in the sky whatsoever are, and they want to know about as much as we do, and, and, and they want to know about about it as much as we do. So, you know, this just kind of goes hand in hand with, you know, uh, you know, this is kind of, you know, this article basically, you know, reinforces what Lester was saying, you know, Congress knows something's up. And they want they want to know they want to know what's going on what you know what what's being seen you know and it's 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 coming now that I'm looking at this I just went through the article and I just realized that that article was crazy it started out talking about this guy in Enos Texas who this is a horribly written article I don't know who, whoever this Sandra Yorgi is boy she really pulled the old bait and switch. 
she started talking about this guy seeing UFOs over Enos, Texas, and went right into, you know, more about Congress seeing. That's a horrible written news story, but it still it goes hand in hand with the other last article. It just kind of shows us that, you know, Congress is Congress wants to know as much about this as we do. So, definitely good to know. Um, our next article is entitled Self-Healing Metal Discovery Opens Door for Giant Tech Leap. A team of scientists from Sandia National Laboratories and Texas A&M University has recently witnessed for the first time a stunning phenomenon. Pieces of metal cracking then fusing back together without any human intervention. If this amazing phenomenon can be harnessed, it could give rise to an engineering revolution in which self-healing bridges, engines, or airplanes could reverse damage caused by wear and tear, and thus become safer and longer-lasting. This was absolutely stunning to watch firsthand, said Brad Boyce, a materials scientist at Sandia. What we have confirmed is that metals have their own intrinsic natural ability to heal themselves, at least in the case of fatigue damage at the nanoscale. Fatigue damage is one of the main ways through which machines wear out and eventually break. From repeated stress or motion, microscopic cracks emerge and grow over time, ultimately leading, leading to complete failure of the device. The fissure the researchers saw disappeared in the current study was one of the t these tiny but consequential fractures. From solder joints in our electronic devices to our vehicle's engines to the bridges that we drive over, these structures often fail unpredictably due to a cyclic loading that leads to cracking in crack initiation and eventual fractures. When they do fail, we have to contend with re the replacement costs, lost time, and in some cases, even incur even injuries and loss of life. The economic impact of these failures is measured in the hundreds of billions of dollars every year for the U.S. According to Boyce, although scientists have already created some self-healing metals, Mostly materials, mostly plastics. A self-healing self metal has been considered impossible until recently. Cracks in metal were only ever expected to get bigger, not smaller. Even some of the basic equations we use to describe crack growth preclude the possibility of such healing processes, he said. However, the possibility of self-healing metals has, re has already been theorized in 2013 in a study led by Michael Demkowitz, who was at the time an assistant professor of material science and engineering at Massachusetts Institute of Technology, or MIT, and is currently a full professor at Texas A&M. Based on computer simulations, he argued that under certain specific conditions, metals should be able to weld shut cracks formed by wear and tear. So, I mean, that's, that's an amazing breakthrough in technology. I mean, to have, you know, metals being able to, you know, you know, Metal being able to fix itself, you know, it's it's his fatigue cracks over time. That's that's a huge breakthrough. I mean, that's that's going to open up the door for so many possibilities. I mean, in this in this country alone, I think it's I think the figure is something like one third of all bridges are in poor or failing condition. So imagine if bridges in the future are all built with this technology. Imagine how many of those, you know, so. The problem with replacing those bridges is it costs tens of millions of dollars to replace. You know, it, it costs to replace all these bridges. It would be hundreds of billions of dollars to replace these bridges, and it's just not in 
the budget of any government in this country, you know, the federal government state budgets. I means they're replacing them slowly, but the problem is that we're replacing them at a rate slower than we can replace them at. We're, that we're replacing them at a rate slower than they're wearing out. So imagine if all bridges going forward were built with this technology. Imagine how much longer bridges could last. Instead of a bridge lasting 50, maybe it could last 75 years, 100 years, who knows, even longer. Um, you know, uh, you know, I can see, you know, especially as we move into, uh, um, <clears throat> as, as moving, move into the future with, with automobiles, you know, it doesn't matter if it's, if it's gasoline engines, if it's, um, you know, gasoline engines, you know, the blocks themselves, you know, and the pistons and the rods and all, you know, imagine, you know, those lasting, you know, two or three times as long because, you know, they can repair themselves. Um, in electrical cars, you're going to have lots of uh, lots of solder joints on circuit boards where you know you know for all the electronics, you know. And every time you know, you, you know, like you hit a bump, it starts you're making those 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 little micro nano cracks in, in, in the solder joints. Imagine you know them being able to repair themselves. It would just make things last so much longer. Everything, um, you know, space travel, you name it. Anything that uses metal would be so, you know, it, it's, it's just amazing what could be done with this. So this is definitely, and I mean, you know, I'm, you know, of course this is still in its infancy, so it's got a long way to go, but it's just showing that, you know, there is so much potential here. This is a huge breakthrough, so I'm really excited by this. I can't wait to see where this goes. Even in the short term of 10 years, I think this is going to make a huge change in technology, so. Uh, let's move on to our next story. And this one is entitled, NASA <clears throat> Unveils New Transformative Aircraft That Could Change the Future of Air Travel. Just not, just not, or we're just not focused on stars. NASA and Boeing have teamed up to build an experimental passenger plane to help achieve the U.S.'s goal of z net zero aviation emissions by 2050. In a joint statement, the two said aircraft would be built through, would be built through NASA's sustainable Flight Demonstrator Project, and the U.S. Air Force is calling it the X-66A. X-plane status is given to research aircraft that are meant to they're meant to test designs and technology that can be used uh, in another aircraft design as opposed to serving as prototypes for production. Working with NASA through its Sustainable Flight National Partnership, an initiative to make aviation more environmentally friendly, Boeing will develop the plane's transonic truss-braced wings configuration and help the pro and help build the prototype. The X66A is being designed to um, improve fuel efficiency in commercial aviation, and it's the first plane focused on helping the U.S. meet its mission goals. The technology could go a long way in mitigating the effects of commercial aviation on the environment. When combined with other technolo technological advancements, Boeing's TTBW could result in as much as 30% less fuel consumption and reduced emissions as compared to today's best-in-class planes. NASA Administrator Bill Nel Nel Nelson said, At NASA, our eyes are not just focused on the stars. The X-66A will help shape the future of aviation, a new era where aircraft are greener, cleaner, and quieter and create new possibilities for, for flying public and American industry alike. Bob Pierce, Associate Administrator for NASA's Aeronautical Research Mission, doc, uh, 
Directorate said, to reach our goal of net zero emissions, aviation emissions by 2050, we need transformative aircraft concepts like the one we're flying on the X-66A. We're aiming high to demonstrate the kinds of energy-saving emissions reducing technologies the aviation industry needs. So, uh, yeah, if we're going to try to curb global, you know, at least you know, humans impact, you know, whether you whether you believe that, you know, I, you know, I mean, you know, whether you believe that, you know, humans are the only thing causing uh, global warming or you think it's a natural cycle, no matter what, um, our CO2 emissions are are escalating. You know, if it's not the only thing doing the global warming, it's at least escalating and making it worse. So, um, you know, we're definitely going to, you know, so, so by us reducing our carbon emissions is definitely going to go a long way in, in, in helping to curb that, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I think it's important that the U S meets our, all of our net zero, uh, emission standards. I don't know what the years, I, I want to say it's like 2030s or 20, I think mid 2030s that they're going to try going net. We're supposed to go net zero on car emissions. I'm not sure, but I know, I, I think 2050 is like is like later than most of the other uh, the net zero goals. But anyways, for us to help curb global warming, we need to achieve our our net zero goals. And I'm glad that NASA is helping out. You know, because everybody thinks that NASA is just you know spaceships and rockets. They don't they don't they don't realize that you know they do actually help with, with you know planes and you know other kinds of propulsions as well. So you know this you know. It's just cool to see NASA teaming up with a big airplane company to try to, you know, you know, put you know, put all their all their tech all their technological, you know, knowledges together to try to make this happen. So, you know, this would be a good a good story to follow to. Hopefully, hopefully, you know, this plane's successful and they can make a commercial flight, you know, more net zero friendly. And at, at the same time, they may actually make uh, flying cheaper. So, something else to keep our eyes on. Our last story for today is entitled New Planet Discovered Has a Massive Ocean and It's Not Too Far from Earth. The scientific community has discovered a new planet. It's located 245 light years away from Earth and has been named TOI 733b. Its size is slightly less than twice the radius of the Earth. It has a unique feature its atmosphere. For now, experts have presented two possibilities. The first is that it may have lost its atmosphere layer. Atmosphere layer. The second is it could be highly irradi- it could be a highly irradiated oceanic world. This is study. This is stated in the study published by the specialized astronomy journal Astronomy and Astrophysics. In the study, it is detailed that the new planet has a density of 3.98 grams per cubic centimeter. To give an idea, it's slightly lower than Earth's density, which is 5.51 grams per cubic centimeter, but higher than our neighbor Mars. Another point mentioned in the Astronomy and Astrophysics article is that the planet's orbit orbits a star slightly smaller than the Sun and completes its orbit in a total of 4.9 days. It is a proximity to the star that serves as an explanation for the first of the two scenarios the scientists have proposed regarding its atmosphere. Currently, planet TOI-733b is a dry rock devoid of gaseous layer, 
of a gaseous layer. One of the reasons scientists find to explain this situation is that being a body very close to the sun, the atmosphere would eventually evaporate. But this is not the only hypotenuse they consider. They also believe that something else could be happening. It could be an oceanic planet. Another significant discovery highlighted by the publication of this article, the similarity between this planet as well as others within, within similar characteristics and Neptune, although on a smaller scale. These types of bodies share a common trait, which is their shrinking, pro their shrinking process due to the loss of atmosphere. And while this latest discovery seems to support this theory, it is still unknown who or what is responsible for this phenomenon, whether it is a star which the planet is closest or the heat they, admit them, the, they themselves admit. For centuries, the existence of extraterrestrial life has ignited our collective curiosity and drive for exploration. Today, we, we're continuing that curiosity on a spe very specific type of celestial body, exoplanets and moons, and that might host oceans. Scientists believe that water-bearing worlds could potentially harbor life, making them a focal point in our search for extraterrestrial organisms. So, uh... You know, and then it just goes on to name potential moons and planets that could have water. Uh, so it's just, it's, it's, you know, just, it's just going to show that you know, there's, you know, we, 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 you know, we keep finding these these planets that that are potentially covered in in, in oceans, which, which is showing us that you know, life, life should be so common throughout the universe as we start exploring throughout, you know, our solar system and other solar systems. We're gonna. We should find that life is abundant. Life is everywhere. Because if it's anything like it is on Earth, wherever you find water, you find life. And you know, theoretically, the same should hold true no matter where you go in the universe. So, yes, yeah, the Oracle. That one was actually sent in by one of the listeners. So you know, thank you for that. So now with uh, the news out of the way, let's look at uh, this week's episode, or this week's topic, which once again is the Coronavisor. So have you ever wondered what it would be like to be able to go back in time and see if history books are correct? Maybe you would go to ancient Greece or ancient Egypt. Maybe you would go back to the 1800s and watch President Abraham Lincoln give the Gettysburg Address. One of the first questions you would ask is, who will the first one to possess this who will be the first one to possess this technology? The United States? Russia? China? Maybe Elon Musk? What if I told you that technology may already exist and is being used? Well, according to Father Pellegrino Ernetti, just such a device exists in the Vatican. Um, if you don't know where the Vatican is, uh, it's in the Vatican City, which is, I believe it's in the middle of Rome or on, on the edge of Rome, it's it's its own country, but it's 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 a tiny city. But it you know it's it's it's, it's basically where the whole Catholic uh, it's where the whole Catholic uh, religion is based out of. You know their whole uh, the Pope lives. Um, all the all the decisions for the Catholic Church are, are made out of there. So, um, um so. One of Father Pellegrino Ernetti's close friends and colleague, Father Franco, 
or excuse me, Father Frankois Brun wrote Ernetti's account of a device called the Coronavisor in his 2002 book, The Vatican Nam Mystery. According to the book, the two were sailing along the Grand Canal in Venice, Italy, in the early 1960s, and began discussing various biblical interpretations. And Mer Arnetti then said interpretations were unnecessary since it was possible to actually see what happened. Arnetti went on to explain that deep inside the Vatican is a device that allows the user to see and hear events from the past. The device doesn't work like what most people think of a time machine that sends, that sends uh, someone or a group of people back into time but more like a TV that allows you to tune into past events and display them on the screen. The device was called the coronavirus is called the coronavisor. Father Ernetti claimed that he saw the device for himself. He said he saw the last days of Jesus, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, the creation of the Ten Commandments, and various other biblical events. He said he also saw the speech by the Roman Senator Marcus Mark Marcus. Tullus Cicero and the events from the life of Napoleon. Father Pellegro Ernetti was a, was a Benedictine monk, a scientist, a museologist, and the chair of the Prepolfoni at Benedetto Marcello Conservatory of Music in Venice. So he was a very trustworthy, credible person. Ernetti claims the idea for the coronavisor came to him while he and Father Agostino Gemelli were at the University of Milan attempting to filter harmonics out of an old Georgian out of old Georgian chant and supposedly heard the voice of Gemelli's dead father speak through the, re the recorder. This made him this made him wonder what happens to sounds after they disappear. Could past sounds be recorded somewhere and be accessible later? If you haven't listened to the episode that I did, it was one of the first maybe dozen episodes that was on the uh, the uh, Akasic Records. Make sure you go back and check check this out because I think when he talks about you know about when he when 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 he talks about like you know like sound being recorded to be accessed later, um, I don't uh, I know a lot of like, way back in ancient times, or, you know, I mean, even as recent as 1800s, they, they would refer to it as the ether. Um, but I think what they refer to is basically the same thing as the Akasic Records. Basically, every event, every thought, every sound, anything that happens from the creation of the universe till the end of the universe, it's all recorded in, in, some, in some dimension, in some realm. And it's called the Akasic Records, and basically everything that's ever happened, you know, it's you know, it, you know, it's almost like the Book of Life that stuck about in the Bible, where all of our, all of our, everything that we do was recorded. It's kind of like that, but it's the the record of of you know, the whole universe. Like I said, to get a better understanding of what it is, go back and listen to the uh, the episode about the um, Akasic Records. That'll give you a lot better understanding of what we're kind of talking about here. But basically. Um, 
um, this this um, he basically felt that there was a place where all sounds went to and were basically recorded and then could be accessed through the right you know means tuning whatever. The team of scientists has been kept a secret to this day, except for two very famous names. Enrico Fermi, who helped create the first atomic bomb, and also created the Fermi Paradox. If you don't know what the Fermi Paradox... Well, first of all, uh, I haven't seen the movie Oppenheimer that, that just came out this week. I want to see it. Uh, Enrico Fermi is probably in that. I haven't seen it, so I don't know, but I would imagine because he was one of the main main guys that helped create the atomic bomb, which is what Oppenheimer is about. But... Um, and then, like I said, he also created the, the Fermi Paradox, which basically um, is what scientists use to kind of figure out how much or, you know, how many advanced civilizations should be able to contact us. It takes, you know, a whole formula of how many stars there are, how many planets, how many habitable. It's a whole big formula, and it breaks down, you know, how many. Um, I'm pretty sure we, we did a, an episode on this as well. Uh, I'm not sure. We're, 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 we're in the mid-60s now, so... Uh, it's been. I'm not 100% sure. I'm. Uh, I'm almost certain I, I did one on the Fermi paradox. If I didn't, I'll make sure I do. But so, anyways, getting back to this. I'm sorry, I got sidetracked there for a second. Um, and the other scientist who helped create this was Werner von Braun, who was a Nazi rocket scientist that, through Operation Paperclip, was brought to the U.S. to help us work on the atomic weapon. Uh, well, to work on our space program and stuff. And uh, he, he he was able to dodge the Nuremberg trial that all the Nazis went through to be you know sentenced for their war crimes. Through Operation Paperclip, certain Nazi scientists were brought to the United States to escape trial, and he was one of them. And basically, you know, he was a he was the main Nazi rocket scientist, and he's the one who helped us get, you know, beat the Russians to the moon. But he was the other. So so him and Enrico Fermi are the two scientists that basically helped us um during also one side note on on uh warner von braun during his time with the nazi regime he and his colleagues created fantastic uh devices um one of the big things were um was the nazi bell if you've ever uh there was a, a big ufo crash in uh, Kessburg, Pennsylvania in 1960s, I believe. Anyways, uh, the description of the UFO definitely matched what the U what the Nazi bell looked like. It was basically an acorn-shaped UFO that... It was a flying device that the Nazis were working on, and... They, th you know, and maybe, maybe, maybe he was able to travel through time, and maybe it was successful, and it traveled from the 1940s and ended up in 1960s in Pennsylvania, Kessburg. But anyways, yeah, that was part of uh, uh, Werner von Braun's creations, too. So anyways, getting back to the story. In 1972, the Italian magazine La Dominic del Carrere published an article including Ernetti's account of the device that showed a picture from the device showing the face of Jesus at the time of his crucifixion. According to Ernetti's uh, time machine was dismantled in order to prevent it from falling into the wrong hands and being used for evil. So the biggest question is, if the device ever existed, did it really get dismantled, 
or is it still intact in an operation somewhere deep inside the Vatican? Let's not forget, the Vatican has a labyrinth of, ca of, of catacombs. If anything was hidden there, it would be able to be well hidden. I mean, the, the Vatican is humongous. There's so many, so many corridors and, and rooms above ground, so many catacombs underground. It, it's, it's nuts. Curiously, in 1988, the Vatican issued an official decree that stated anyone using a device such as the coronavisor would be excommunicated. If it was a hoax, why would they do this? So how does a coronavisor work? Well, to a degree, a telescope is a coronavisor. Images seen with the telescope isn't how the galaxies and stars look right at this instant, but how they looked thousands or even millions of years ago. Because, you know, late, late travels, you know, late travels, it's not like instantaneously, you know, so, you know, so like, you know, when you're looking at, when you're looking at a galaxy that's 20 million light years away, that's what that galaxy looked like 20 million years ago. It may not even be there anymore. It's just currently it looks like it is to us. Um, so when you look at something through a telescope, you're actually, you're actually watching past events in the cosmos. The coronavisor works similarly, but by tuning into light and sound particles that have their own unique timestamp. Basically, the theory is that every particle of light and every sound wave always exists after being emitted, but in their own time period. So the coronavisor can tune into the exact time periods to see and hear events from that time period. So basically, like, like, uh, assassination of John F. Kennedy, you know, the exact date that that happened, those sound waves and the, and the light, the, everything, you know, the other you know, sound and the, and the vision, everything from that was, it, it, it existed and exists forever. It's just, it's, it's trapped in that period of time. So the coronavisor is able to be, it's, it's almost like a, like a radio, but instead of tuning in the, in the radio frequencies, you're turning into like time frequencies. I guess that's, that's the best way to describe it. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm getting back to, to what I had, alright, so, um, we're gonna circle back once again to Warner Von Braun. Like I said before, before being, or, uh, uh, before being saved from the Nuremberg trials after World War II, and working for the U.S. government, he was part of the high-level Nazi science project to make Wonderwaffle, or Miracle Weapon, which, in, which included stealth fighters acoustic cannons, anti-gravity technology, and ironically enough, time travel, which partially is through the bell. Many accounts of Von Braun recall him creating a window to the past. The CAA tried to use human paranormal powers in the form of astral projection in 1984 in Project Stargate. So the concept of viewing past events has been a common concept for a long time, and scientifically most likely much easier than physically sending someone back in time. You know, to, to you know, view or hear things from the past, scientifically would be easier to send someone back, because that, that's a lot, it's a lot more difficult. The only thing odd about Project Stargate is the participants were remote viewing an ancient Martian civilization over a million years ago. That's a topic for another show. But, or at least according to what documents that were released from 
Project Stargate is, is that is that, that they were they were they were that the the, the, the participants in, in the CIA program were the, the, the other looking at Martian a Martian civilization that's now extinct. But like I said that that's a whole other that's a whole another rabbit hole which was doing another show. But if you want to look it up, look into it a little bit before I, before I do that show, just look up uh, Project Stargate. Um, I would suggest using a browser like DuckDuckGo, because if, if you use like Google or Yahoo or anything MSN, you're gonna get flooded with search with 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 uh, you're gonna get flooded with results from the movie and the TV series Stargate. DuckDuckGo is a little bit better for stuff like that, so you know, and you still might have to go two, three pages deep. But if you just look for you know, the CAA program, Project Stargate, you'll be able to find it. If you want to look at it a little bit before I get to it here, I'm not sure how long it's going to be to get to that. But so the concept of the Corona Visor is scientifically solid. It appears that one of the main scientists in the Corona Visor project, Warner von Braun, might have already been on the verge of creating just such a device. Let's not forget the Vatican has an astronomy department and an observatory. With its own telescope, the Vatican has been interested in cutting-edge science for various reasons. You know, they. What I think it is with with the, with the Vatican is that the Vatican wants to try to stay ahead of where science is at, or at least stay with science, so that if something if something would go against their views or or theisms, that they can, you know, work on a work on a, on like you know a reason. You know, how, you know how to fit that into the into their in, in, into their theology, so that you know their faith doesn't fall apart. I mean, I'm not you know, I'm not here to say God does or doesn't exist. I I believe He does, but that's for you to you know, you know. I can't make you believe or make you know, and that's a different show. That's a whole different podcast. But what I'm trying to say is that you know they want to make sure that their way of their their version of God stays intact so they're always up with they're always trying to keep up with science so that they can you know continue um i don't want to put it so they can so they can continue to reinforce you know what their version of god is so when you look at the scientists involved the vatican statement and history of hiding things and the credibility of father pellegrio and nernetti I honestly think this device did and still does exist. I think that time machines in traditional senses, we think of them sending people back in time exist or could potentially exist today. We'll cover that in an upcoming show. So what do you think? Do you think the, the uh, Corona visor was a real device? Still a real device? Uh, you know, go on, go on to our Facebook fan page. Let me know. You can send us emails at uh, moampodcast21 at gmail.com. Uh, there's also a link, or also, if you look at the description for this uh, podcast, there also, you know, uh, that email address will, will, be, will be listed. The link to our fan page will be there, as well as our phone number, which you can uh, call and let voicemails. You can, uh, you can send text messages. I will say that most people, I would say a third, or I would say almost half of, the fans who who uh, communicate with us use our use our our text line. Um, you know, I mean, I we get we get quite a few voicemails, but I would say almost half half of half of what we get you know, of our responses 
when you know when people contact us, it's usually you use it through texting. And I'll be honest, if you send us a text, that's the fastest way to get a response because uh, I have that that number patched into my to my own personal line. So when that when that comes through, I mean, I see it instantly. I respond right back to you. Whereas if you let a voicemail or email, it might take me a couple days. So, uh, so with that being said, let's look at uh, last the uh, question of the week for last week. So last week, basically, the question of the week was, um, I, I, what I asked you was, do you think that China is going to surpass the United States in um, space exploration and overtake us, or do you think that, that the United States is going to continue our dominancy? Um, I, uh, the responses I got on this, I would say it's about, I would say about thirty percent think that China's going to overtake us, and seventy about seventy-five, well, about. I'd say uh, not quite 70% is saying um, the U.S. will re retain its dominancy, and then, you know, a handful saying that, you know, they're kind of undecided, the, the other not sure how it's going to go. I'll tell you my personal, I've been battling back and forth with this a lot, and I, I thought a little bit more, you know, I mean, I kind of gave you a little bit of what I felt last week, but I did, you know, I thought a little bit more about it this week, and the more I think about it, I really think that we're going to retain our dominancy, and here's why. If you look at what China has done, a lot of their exploration, a lot of their space, a lot of what they do, they don't have original ideas. For the most part, they take our our ideas or ideas from the rest of the world, especially these ideas from the U.S., and they copy. But the copies aren't as good as ours. And they're trying to move forward. They're, they're taking technology that they didn't acquire for themselves. They didn't they didn't learn and discover it. They took this technology that they basically stole from other places, including mostly from the United States. They stole this technology, and they ran with it. And it's not their technology, and they don't fully understand it. So I think right now, you know, they're starting to make leaps and bounds with putting robots on the moon, and they just got one, you know. But I I think ultimately, it's not going to... I don't think they're going to beat us to the moon with a manned mission. Not successfully, I... I, I, unfortunately, I really think that they're going to... They still have a long way to go. I mean, they've got people in orbit, they've got space stations, but to go to the moon's a whole other ball of wax, and they have no idea, they've never done it. Um, I think Russia... Well, I would normally say Russia might beat us to the moon, but with what they got going on with the war in Ukraine, the resources are spread so thin. So I, don't, I really think we're going to get to the moon first. We're going we're gonna to retain our dominancy in space, and... Because, I mean, all the, all the great minds that invent new things and create new things, those great minds all come to the U.S. to work because you have the most freedoms here. You know, I I just don't... I just don't think it's, it's going to be a problem for us to retain our dominance just because of that. Because you know, all the free minds, or all the great minds come here because they have, you know, a lot more freedoms. So, that being said, let's look at the... Question of the week for next week. Uh, we've had, you know, we've been a lot on space lately. Let's come back to Earth here. Let's. Uh, let's let's look at um, electric vehicles. I guess this week, something you know, electric vehicles is something totally different than what we've looked at. Um. So my question for this week is, uh, a lot of a lot of car manufacturers are bringing out a lot of electric cars. I mean, you know, GM, Ford. Um, Honda is doing it very well. Kia, all these car companies are bringing out electric vehicles. 
I guess this is a you know, this is a two part question. Number one, do you think anybody's gonna dethrone Tesla as the number one electric car? Only because they've done it, they have the infrastructure with chargers set up, which nobody else has. And two, is our power grid going to be able to support all these cars? Because uh, at the at the end of the day, sure, you know, you're driving an electric car. But you plug it in, what do you plug it into? You're plugging it into a fossil fuel power plant. And our power grid's already, you know, you get a heat wave, everybody turns their air conditioner on, and we go through rolling blackouts because the power grid can't handle it. How's it going to handle all these cars charging? So that's two-part question for next week. You know, do you think Tesla will remain the top electric car manufacturer or be dethroned? And do you think that um, our electrical grid infrastructure is going to be able to, be able to handle all these, all these batteries charging? So let me know what you guys think. Uh, once again, the ways to contact us are all in the descriptions, email, uh, Facebook fan page, or uh, our phone line. Until next week, I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Talk to you guys next week. Till then, stay safe.